0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more
0: While the world is all gloomy and full of despair, one thing that might help you is comfy loungewear. But I mean it won't help with a war or, you know, a raging disease, but it will help you sit on your bottom with enjoyment and ease. Ooh, breathe. British boxes, they sell lovely pants and pajamas. Ooh, British boxes, which might help you deal with global dramas. Ooh, British boxes, they are a really nice sort. So go check their range from T-shirts to boxer shorts. British Box is a very ethically lovely loungewear and underwear company who just the other week went viral on Twitter for posting swears about Nigel Farage. So what more could you want? And with the code PARPOLBRO15, you get 15% off any order what you do on their site at british-boxers.com. So don't just forget that while everything out there seems quite mad, that some things might be pants, and yet also not bad. Or British boxes, British box don't sell boxes, so please don't try to buy any of your favourite boxing legends from their website, or they will ignore your email. Barry McGuigan is not for purchase, we please stop contacting them to ask. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that isn't made with any secret oligarch money. um, Or any money from anyone, really. And uh, shows, doesn't it? I'm Tina Duyeb and as Prime Minister and poached egg in ill-fitting trousers, Boris Johnson says that it's not future historians but the people of Ukraine who will be our judge. I wonder if that's why him and his government don't want to save any of them so they can get away with being on the wrong side again. As it emerged that the UK have been actively turning away Ukrainian refugees in Calais, the French Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin, a man who looks like he's forever hearing a witty remark of the highest calibre, accused the Home Secretary and only person that would be repelled from a black hole, Pretty Patel, of having a lack of humanity. Yes, mate, lols, That's why she has her job. Catch up. Where have you been? Watching the news the past few weeks has really felt like a good chunk of the political and media world have only just emerged from a cryogenic chamber to replace the stand-ins that have been doing their jobs in the meantime. Russia are committing humanitarian crimes, cried many countries' leaders, and it's like, yeah, what's new? I could have told you that years ago. That's basically their Twitter bio. Likes ice skating and horrifically illegal chemical attacks in areas the West will largely not give a shit about. Swipe right for my oil. Chances are, if Russian president and talking water-wiggler Vladimir Putin is happy to send two lads on the world's most unethical trip to Salisbury Cathedral, you probably shouldn't be all that shocked that Russia's tactics during an illegal invasion that was already illegal are probably going to be illegal. Boris Johnson put one of Putin's buddies in the House of Lords and he shouldn't have done. Yeah, I mean, where have you been? I know we're all suffering burnout, but I could have told you years ago that Evgeny Lebedev should be nowhere near decisions that affect the country simply based on how he resembles a haphazard go of a fuzzy-faced magnetic toy. Perhaps I am being harsh, and the issue is that, like myself, many of those currently in important positions that should be alerting us about these things were brought up on a diet of 80s and 90s Cold War entertainment, where every story involved someone who you thought was a goodie but then turned out to be a Russian spy willing to give away secrets or steal an ancient relic. So when the oligarchs and allies of autocratic regimes are really just openly hanging around, telling you who their pals with, donating money to your party, insisting you run destructive referendums, funding campaigns that encourage people to die, and being in pictures with the heads of global media tycoons while everyone wears shoes that should carry health warnings, then I guess it could just really throw you off. We've been taught that the idea that those ones are the baddies is far too obvious and a distraction, and clearly those will be the guys that end up being double agents and helping James Bond, whereas that dude who keeps trying to make living conditions better is clearly suspect and needs to be stopped before it turns out he's planning to block out the sun or gain the powers of an ancient deity. But that is very much the 21st century, isn't it? An absolute insistence that the emperor must be wearing new clothes because he says he is and he would know. There's no way he'd just be naked when Facebook wouldn't let him post the pictures if he was, and if you suggest such a thing, it must be because you hate the country and not because you're horrified by having to see his tiny button mushroom penis wave around as he tells you your heating bill will now cost you your soul. Over the last week, the situation in Ukraine has continued to intensify. Rocket attacks have hit residential areas in several major cities, including the capital Kiev. Casualties and fatalities keep increasing, and the real figures are considered to be much, much higher than is reported. The UN suggests there are currently 1.5 million Ukrainian refugees, and it could increase to up to 6.5 million. Something that the British government has raced to help with by giving asylum to... um, just 50 of them. It's like turning up to a flooded home with a teaspoon and giving up after five minutes declaring yourself the saviour of the people. But those 50 people can now stay in the UK for three years, which is really nice, so their chances of getting Covid or having to pay all their savings on heating bills are much better than they were before. According to the Foreign Secretary and what happens if you vacuum pack a person, Dominic Raab, he said we can't just open our doors to Ukrainian refugees as it will undermine popular support. Which popular support is that, Dom? The one from former Russian bank chief accused of money laundering who gave you 25 grand? Actually, in this instance, uh, Dominic Raab probably means that support, but also the solid 30 to 40% of people who insist on voting Conservative and don't want anyone coming over here and taking all the jobs we don't actually have or using any of the public services we also don't actually have anymore. It's not fair for people to flee their awful situation and come and make our one seem less bad, as that really takes the shine of voting Tory if you put all that effort in and someone still ruins it by managing to enjoy living here. Home Secretary Priti Patel vehemently denied that her border controls were actively turning people away at Calais and the Home Office are considering a new safe route to help refugees from Ukraine. But it's all in the language, you see, as I'm sure Priti Patel considers quite a lot of things but then realises they'd make people happy so he decides against them. And there is every chance the Home Office aren't turning people away in France because they're insisting that those people walk away from the border backwards so that border control can see the sadness in their eyes and capture it for Patel to feed off later. The Prime Minister said the government will be as generous as they possibly can be in helping Ukrainian refugees come to the UK, but again from him that probably just means they'll only be allowed over if they pay for his wallpaper. Though with all the Russian donors gone, Johnson is going to need someone else to buy all of his things for him. The UK is so generous allowing 50 people in and they've gone above and beyond that by making sure the Home Office helpline for Ukrainians to contact isn't actually free and will cost them loads just to ask for advice. The epitome of humanity right there, showing that even though you're fleeing war, we don't want to patronise you with special treatment and want you to know that your care is equally as unimportant to us as any British citizen's. Anyone who pretends that they know what's going to happen between Russia and Ukraine next is a big fat liar, which is probably why Boris Johnson keeps saying he does. As I record this, Russia have agreed a ceasefire to allow citizens to leave the major cities, but only if they then travel into Russia or Belarus, which is very much out of the frying pan and directly into a hungry waiting mouth. Two ceasefire attempts in the city of Mariupol fell through over the weekend. And by fell through, I meant they weren't kept by the Russian military, so it didn't work. A bit like how the Minsk Agreement for peace didn't work in 2014 because, well, Russia just kept doing war. And then how the Minsk II Agreement, more Minsk, more here, in 2015, also didn't work because, well, again, um, Russia then invaded Ukraine. So again, it's only a surprise that Putin doesn't keep his word if you've only just arrived here from space and you aren't really sure what words are. The foreign ministers from Russia and Ukraine are to meet in Turkey on Thursday and Putin is apparently keen for the fighting to stop but says the invasion won't actually end until Ukraine give in. Which is kind of the tactics you'd expect from a school bully. I'll only stop punching you when you stop resisting me punching you. I'm amazed that he hasn't said he'll quit if they hand over their lunch money as well. Ukrainian president, comedian and unwell Jeremy Renner, Vladimir Zelensky, says they won't stop fighting and instead of forgiveness, there will be a day of judgement for Russian troops, which I assume will be a sort of criminal or harsh judgement rather than how it would be in the UK, where the Prime Minister would tut a bit and then hire them to build a sports centre at Downing Street for four times the money that was needed. A whistleblower thought to be from the Russian security agency, FSB, has said that the Russian invasion will be a total failure and that it has to be over by June as by then, due to the sanctions, they'll have absolutely no economy left. Still though, Putin does want to return to Bolshevik Soviet times, so I guess people having to push a wheelbarrow of cash to buy some bread definitely emulates part of that. The Russian government have banned Facebook though, so you know, I guess they can't be all that bad. International sanctions have definitely made a difference, but Boris Johnson says that world leaders need to do more, probably to make up for the complete lack of anything that the UK has done. The rest of the world must see our Prime Minister as some sort of jumped up backseat driver, although God knows why you'd want to give him a lift anywhere in the first place. So far, the British government have pushed through fewer sanctions than Switzerland, a country that's meant to be neutral about these sorts of things, but ministers are tabling amendments to the Economic Crime Bill so they can introduce sanctions quicker. You know, now all the oligarchs have had time to move their dosh somewhere else. But even so, a clause in the bill says individuals or their assets will be exempt if doing so is in the best interests of the United Kingdom. But sadly, I guess that's in the government's definition of best interest for the country, which usually just means donations to the Conservative Party, rather than my definition of best interest for the country, which would mean heavy investment in making sure every single item of clothing Boris Johnson owns is always horrifically itchy and someone is employed just to put tax on every seat he's about to sit in. Johnson has also cut the budget for the anti-corruption unit that investigate dirty Russian money in London, which many have criticised, but I suppose much like with Covid, if you don't test for it, it's not there anymore, is it? So that makes dealing with it an awful lot easier thing is, the best way to get rid of a good chunk of dirty Russian money would just be to stop the Conservative Party taking it. Tory party chairperson Ben Elliott, with a face that appears to be in motion even when it's not, runs a company that provides services for wealthy clients, many of them Russian oligarchs who then donate to the party for lunches and meetings with cabinet ministers, because obviously their idea of a good time is a really fucking awful tedious one. The party says that all their donors are legitimate and support their aims and objectives, which currently appear to be using Russian oil, Brexit and not letting Ukrainians into the country. I suppose the have to take that money, though, because otherwise goodness knows what influence and bribery they might use it for, right? Johnson is being urged to appear in front of a parliamentary committee to explain his connections to media mogul and pal of Putin Evgeny Lebedev after he overrode security concerns to get him a place in the House of Lords. Though, to be fair, based on how little the Lords managed to achieve without the government just overturning it, there's every chance that by putting Lebedev in there, Johnson's basically neutralised him. I mean, how on earth can Evgeny Lebedev influence politics if he's on the backbenches completely fast asleep? Boris Johnson said foreign money launderers would have nowhere to hide, but again, it's an interesting choice of language because he could just mean that they don't have to because he has to send their party invites somewhere. The Prime Minister has drawn up a six-point plan, like a Pentagon I suppose, to support Ukraine, which is really ambitious for a man who struggles at the best of times not to be completely pointless. One of those six points is just to support Ukraine's efforts to defend itself, which I assume will amount to Johnson every now and then saying, go on Zelensky at the TV, or maybe asking everyone to give those who haven't died a big round of applause. What would actually be a good plan is, well, aside from not just letting 50 people in, like the UK is some sort of shit nightclub, is to work out how to make the UK less reliant on Russian oil and gas. Currently, the invasion of Ukraine and a possible embargo on Russian fuel has risen costs by 10%, so maybe, maybe the government's unwillingness to step in and lower energy costs for households was actually part of their campaign to support Ukraine. That's right, we don't actually want to help you, but by freezing to death, we're really showing Russia who's boss. Cave-dwelling sputum Nigel Farage has reared his rubbery head in recent weeks, at first to show support for Putin's actions in a way that feels like when celebrities you've known have been dating for years finally admit to it. Then this week it was to announce his new campaign for a referendum to stop net zero targets. Some critics have said that it's mighty suspicious that Nigel Farage wants the UK to have more dependence on oil and gas right now, but I think they're missing the more obvious picture, which is that mutant frog people like him would thrive in a waterlogged and toxically humid planet. In the midst of all of this, the government decided that what the world really needed right now was a new knight in polyester armour, and who better than original troll face meme Gavin Williamson? Yes, the man who lost his job as Defence Secretary for breaching national security and then ruined the futures of all the nation's children has now been given a knighthood, a decision even Number 10 has said it's hard to justify. Is it? I mean, again, a cynic may say it's because he was Defence Secretary at the exact time the FBI was investigating the Trump-Russia connections in London, and may know things that'd be handy to hide away with a sir, but I think it's more than that you see. Gavin Williamson has shown exceptional service to the notion of failure and just imagine the inspiration he'll give many as they see that this absolute shit show of an attempt at a human has got an outdated accolade and they'll think maybe I can achieve anything if I too make friends with a truly fucking awful bunch of morally redundant rich arseholes. You can do it too kids, you just have to try to meet some of the worst people imaginable. I believe in you. The UK policing bill was forced through last week with all the bits the Lords had tried to remove about making protests illegal if anyone at all finds them annoying. Several Conservative MPs have been praising the anti-war protesters in Russia and then went to the House of Commons and voted to imprison anyone here that did exactly the same for up to 10 years. Still, I suppose with all the sanctions they're sort of having to impose, they've got to find ways to make those oligarchs feel at home somehow. MPs are getting £2,200 pay rise from next month which will really help them deal with all the rising heating costs they voted not to do anything about so that's really handy. Oh no wait sorry they get those on expenses. MPs do need more money though because if they don't get that they'll have to seek extra money from donors and look where that's got us. So this way they won't have to do that and instead can just do it anyway but take them to nicer places for lunch. It's funny because if you were to go back to say the beginning of 2016 and let someone know that this is what would happen to the world in the future they'd say yes that's what I thought would happen, it's really obvious if you just read things and pay attention. What are you? An idiot? And you know what? They'd be right. Oh, God. Hi there. Wow, writing the comedy this week has been the opposite of fun. I was trying to think of a really fun final last line but, um, I mean, there isn't one, is there? There just isn't it just isn't any fun. Um, you should see all the notes I've skipped over this week. There's so much info I couldn't even get in. It's full of horrors like Nadine Dorras and wanks like Aaron Banks. Um, all of that. All of that is skipped uh, for the sake of not talking at you for the rest of your life. Um, I hope it was okay. I hope there were some good bits in there. I've been working on something this past week. I'm underconfident, Banks. I've been working on something this past week, and I've got to be careful how to talk about it because I don't want to lose more work but basically I had to write something about the current situation and it had to be sort of funny but not flippant which is the board you know the line that i try to be on this show anyway and then sort of when i did it and i submitted it like uh oh the gags are too complicated or, or i don't really get that one and um and then they all got removed and now it's just sort of it's just sort of a, a thing without any of the jokes in anyway, anyway basically it made me remember that there are that there's really sort of key ways to doing humor about these situations that i think um you have to sort of understand if you want to broach it in that way and uh because i'm a firm believer that jokes about terrible situations are an absolutely necessary coping mechanism but as far as i'm concerned the key is that the gags are in the detail in the sort of extraneous nonsense around the horror in people's comments there's never ever about the tragedy or the suffering of the people um you know not for me anyway that's not my humor i wouldn't do that um but then you see if you cut out the detail or the kind of silly surrounding bits then you take away any room for where jokes can be placed in a tactful and thoughtful way also you lose the ability to kind of use the comedy to explain some sort of deeper knowledge or context or history of an event that you might not be able to do otherwise Um, so basically what I'm saying is in the intro I did a joke about the Minsk Agreement uh, and that got scrapped uh, for the thing I'm working on apparently it was too clever and I'm still grumbling about it it's not too clever it's basically saying there was peace and there was war and then there was peace and there was war Um, this is basically my problem of uh, a life of stand-up uh, you see where um, basically I've had like years and years where I've got to write what I want to get on stage and then immediately say it and now um, I'm doing a lot more work for other people uh, who have a different sense of humour and they say yeah but I don't like that and what I should say is okay thanks for the cash but instead my brain goes but you don't understand comedy and then I have to go away and listen to calming music and just sort of deal with it. Anyway, thanks for listening once again, and absolutely loads of you did uh, last week, which either means hello new people, um, or it might just be because I somehow loaded the show up twice and everyone hit markers played on both versions, so it's all an illusion. Um, either way though, thanks, and you're very welcome here, be it a new listener or um, a computer action. Uh, of course, if you do like this thing and you have enough spare cash to pay your heating bills, support refugee charities, and then still somehow send me some for coffee, please do that at ko-fi.com forward slash or join the patreon.com forward slash Bro for a total of zero rewards, except the knowledge that you've been a good'un. Isn't that enough? And um, this week, as you may have noticed by my awful singing at the top of the show, there is a new advert for British Boxes. And again, if you buy anything from their lovely ethical range of pants and that, uh, and you use the Paul Bro 15 code, then I get some dosh too, which is nice. Um, I'm also happy to take donations um, for me to never ever sing on this show ever again, if that is preferable. Uh, very happy for them sort of bribes. Um, I'm also going to pop the uh, Azadi charity fundraiser link. In in the podcast blurb again like i did last week um so if you're able to help afghani refugees who are also still in need of help because yes the world is a fuckstorm, um then please do that so either help out at that link or buy one of their t-shirts which have been designed by um just some absolutely amazing refugee artists all of the designs are amazing and i want all of them so do those things or maybe just regularly do incantations so that Pretty patel is eaten by a hell mouth that would also help um the other link is to a petition to save a care home in bexhill that is under threat of closure. Um, as I don't know why I put caveats like this. I'm sort of, I think I'm so uh, adjusted to Twitter where there was going, oh, but what about all the other care homes? Well, I know this is happening all over the country. Uh, all these services are being shut down and there's loads of places that need saving. But basically this one um, has got my friend's nan in and uh, they're really fighting to keep it open because uh, lots of people need it. So if you can, please give that petition a sign. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, uh, on this week's show, I'm going to go have a lie down. No, uh, I am stepping away from global conflict upset awfulness, um, which I'm sure uh, we'll come back to next week. Uh, But instead, uh, just a little respite, because um, there are also terrible things happening here. Surprise! Um, Instead of going down a more local politics route about bus services, with some stops at disability rights on the way. uh, That is all the bus puns uh, that I have for that bit. And uh, in two sentences, I've just completely undermined any credibility to my earlier rant about knowing how comedy works. Haven't I? Haven't I bloody done that, haven't I? (laughs) You know what they say, you wait for ages for a bus to show up and then it never ever does because the service has been closed and you have no foreseeable way of travelling outside of your small village. If you're like me, then it's hard enough to get on with the day-to-days while the world seems to be jumping from one global crisis to another. But if you're not like me and live in a rural part of the country, it's even harder to get on with the day-to-days when all the local services you need to do them have been taken away. And there's also that silage farm smell, right? I mean, I have no idea how anyone gets anything done with all that reek in it. Oh, sorry, that's not all of the countryside. No? Oh, sorry. Uh, and on top of that, uh, if you are a person with a disability, then losing those services means you can't really do much at all and you still have to smell the silage. It's just it's awful. It's really... Sorry, I got distracted again. Um, before the pandemic, so many public services in villages and towns across England had been cut due to austerity and reduced local council budgets. 160 locations were considered as transport deserts, which is appalling and also just a really rubbish sort of desert to have. I mean, you could actually cross that on a camel, probably easier than before as there's less chance you get hit by a bus while riding around on one. Since the pandemic, what with those many months everyone was in lockdown, bus services took such a financial hit that many more across the country are set to reach their final destination soon. You might remember though that Prime Minister Boris Johnson vowed to bust back better with £3 billion towards improving bus services, but of course a lot of that money has now ended up on diversion with no replacement service in sight. No transport means no travelling to work, shops or, well, anywhere and leaves many, especially with mobility issues, completely stranded in the transport desert with the downside being that if you see a mirage of water it's very likely real and also due to a lack of flood defence funding too. This week, I take a step back from the global political horrors to focus on some more local political horrors instead. Uh, And I spoke to Richard Brown, a disability activist who has ataxia and has spent many years campaigning with Ataxia UK and raising awareness of the condition he and many others have. He's also based in Barton, a suburb in Oxfordshire that lost its bus service over seven years ago. And Richard, along with several others, founded a volunteer-led community bus service called Arbus that has been completely vital to the area. Richard was awarded an MBE last year for Arbus and his services to people with disabilities. So I thought it'd be good to talk to him about the current state of disability rights, where the disabled community were largely hit much harder than any other section of society by the pandemic, but also to ask him about the actually positive story of public ownership and community initiatives that led to Arbus. But I didn't once ask him about the smell of silage because I've been to Barton and it seemed absolutely fine for cow poo whiffs, thankfully, because that's the last thing they'd need right now, isn't it? Here is Richard. Hi, Richard. I really appreciate you being on the podcast this week. Um, I've read uh, quite a lot of your blog and I think it's absolutely fascinating and, and just brilliantly written. Um, and I, I think I want to start right at the top. Uh, one of the things I've been very aware of and I feel doesn't hasn't really been... Mentioned often enough uh, over the course of the pandemic is that it does really feel like disability rights have been greatly reduced by by the last few years. And, you know, areas where I know universal credit got an uplift and, and uh, disability payments didn't, dispute benefit payments didn't. And uh, But it does just feel like a lot of the time, like people with disabilities have been largely forgotten about. Now, is, is, is that the case? And, and how are things now com- compared to how they were in 2019?
2: sure it's um well thank thanks for the compliment um i think it is um it's been a very difficult time for disabled people in the pandemic um but i think everyone apart from billionaires obviously have uh, had had a difficult time um there, there are things that have affected disabled people um in a very unfair way and i think uh, we have had the worst of it um local authorities have stopped giving care um, or, um, and you know that that's difficult to get started again Um the uplift you've mentioned um, the reckless abandonment of restrictions now is putting several people in a very difficult situation um, as their carers and family members come back into their homes without tests so you know it's uh, it's quite frightening so and public spaces are changing um, to, you know, to exclude disabled people. Um, you know, cafes and pop-up things on the streets are happening and disabled people are disappearing as, um, you know, the world is changing. So I think it has been bad, but I think we need to look at the bigger picture for disability and actually go. it goes much further back. And disabled people have... Um, Sort of being um, marginalised and uh, oppressed, I think, for at least fifty years in this country, um, and it's just now worse than it's ever
0: been. Yeah, I sort of feel very aware. I, I, I mean that's that's my own ignorance. I hadn't realised sort of when you say fifty years. I, I think in my head I'm very sort of aware of it. In the last ten years, and I'm very aware of the. Um, a lot of the issues with the sort of the assessments uh, that just seem to become particularly harsh. Mm. Um, but are you saying that sort of, in, in, uh, without meaning to, um, to sort of take your words uh, and, and maybe misrepresent it, but are you saying sort of in 50 years, not like things haven't really changed very much?
2: Yeah, so I, um, I've one of my favourite pictures that I use in my blog lot is um, a picture of uh, people um, protesting next to a bus. They're holding signs up. Um, you know saying we want better access Um, the picture is in black and white and if you look at it closely it's from the 60s in America Um, you know and that's even longer ago and so we we were still there, that was us, but still there 60 years ago not able to get on buses Um, and now you know it's a bit easier things have improved a little bit but it's still you know still so much work to do and so so difficult to um you know to to get you know that level of, of quality that we've been looking for.
0: It's that's really upsetting to hear. I mean, it's it's perhaps a a, a a silly question, but why you know you, since the sixties, why is it taking so long for there to be positive change for for accessibility? I I you
2: know. It, it seems to be that um, you know, it's certain privileged people, you know, get what they want, and other groups who are marginalised, outsider groups, don't. Um, and it's the same across a lot of groups. Um, I think we've we've seen with Black Lives Matter um, that when it all finally comes to a head, and you know, people say enough's enough, um, this group needs help. Um there are there are still plenty of people that don't get it and don't don't want to and feel uncomfortable by it. And so it's it's it it is horrible. I mean we've we've had Brexit, we've had 10 years of austerity. Um things have just got worse and worse for disabled people in this country.
0: Yeah, I think it was. I was really um, uh, just on a sort of personal level of my own, the, the the world that my head's in. But I think one of the things that really highlighted for me was the amount of people uh, with disabilities who contact me on Twitter saying, oh, you're doing an online gig. Finally, I can come to one because there hasn't been a theatre I could go mm. to for however long. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think many of us in the entertainment industry had even realised that the access to so many places had been so bad f- for so long and, and suddenly that whole world opened up for for a brief time. Hopefully I, I think a lot of places are going to continue it now. It's fantastic. It's yeah, well the the whole thing of access uh being too difficult or too
2: expensive. Um is it's a myth really. I went to uh the Colosseum some years ago um uh, and they've installed a, a glass lift in the in the you know and it, it looks seamless beautifully but so the, the argument that access is too expensive, or it's you know too difficult, or you know won't look right, or this building's too old, we can't put yeah, rubbish. I mean, it's really it's about attitudes. It's about people you know being seeing the world um, with equality. And forty four percent of people who are over sixty five have a disability, so disability isn't going away. Um, so we do need to look at the world we live in um, and see how we can we can improve it for everyone.
0: And how are you? You're you're in a uh, well, you're in you're in Oxfordshire, um, and I, I wondered how sort of facilities and, and access are in rural areas of the UK, not just for, for, for disabled people, but also for I suppose elderly people, people with you know for everyone really. What's what's happened to services in in more rural parts in recent years?
2: I, th- I think um the rural um the issue for rural people is isolation um and it you know it's it's quite hard growing up in all living in a village um where where you don't drive or you can't drive or you stop driving it's it's very hard to uh you know the world is kind of um not really geared up for that so um um you know, we we run a bus service, and many of our passengers are older people uh, who who need that support um, and don't get it from uh, from the government.
0: And what's you know one of the things that you've been fantastic campaigning on, and we'll we'll get to what what you've done in a minute, but is is transport? Which you know the 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 as you mentioned, these lack of services. What does a lack of transport do to a? You said sort of isolation, but that's I mean no tra- transport you can't you can't get to work uh you can't get to the shops you know how does that affect a, a, a community and, and and what is it about uh i mean is it is it particularly bus services that, that that are missing it's it's um well it's um
2: i think i think so i think you know it's um it seems to be um the one of the uh biggest lifelines that people you know have taken away was bus services or public transport and uh they it's i think people have medical needs they they go to the doctors or health centers Um, they go shopping um you know to get food and things that's that's important but it's the social side as well the actual um getting on about and going to meet people and and talking to, to other people and meeting other people really but um we uh, When we started the bus service, we, we asked people, where do you want to go? Um, and quite a few said, we don't care. We just want to sit on the bus for an hour with our friends. We don't care where you go or, you know, where, when it comes so out. That, that was, that really highlighted it for me that actually it's, it's really about, you know, people can't live if they're stuck at home and having to rely on on family and friends.
0: So... I suppose first question really is 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 the service that you, that you helped set up our bus patterns. Why why did you have to set up a service? You know, it feels quite ridiculous, you know, to to say Allah, but that that people, the community, themselves had to set up their own bus service because there wasn't one. Who was responsible for it before? What happened to it? And and why did you end up setting it up uh, as a result? Yeah. Well,
2: initially, um, I mentioned earlier austerity. Um, and the cuts that, that swept across everyone. Um one of the one of the big cuts was to rural bus services. Um a lot um just disappeared. The reason being that the subsidies um that were from the government that were given to local authorities to give to bus operators to run rural services um, at a loss were, were cut. So the, the private uh the private sector said uh we're not going to run these routes if you're not going to pay us um and drop them so we we were quite upset we we're quite angry that you know to be living in a world where um it's all about money it's not about you know love or people or doing the right thing anymore it's, it seems to be about money so um we we thought well you know, we we don't believe in that. We're not all about money. Um, there were a group of about five or six of us, um and we all had different expertise. And you know, but we were committed, and we said, right, well, we're going to set something up. We we're quite we we're quite upset that we had to do this. You know, that that we were left that we were the last resort. We were the ones out to do it, but. We we you know we just got on with it. We we set the thing up. We started the charity because um, I'm a trustee of a taxi UK. Rob was at the time, so I I have plenty of expertise. Um, I set the charity up. We I knew a bit about fundraising, a bit about communications. We did a website and social media, and, and so you know we and the rest. of the rest of the guys, we all pulled together. We we got the thing running up and running in six months. That's amazing. Um, so it was um, it was really good, but yes, it was um, it was all because uh, the cuts from uh, from central government. But our local authority have been really supportive and really helpful. Um, they they've wanted us to succeed. They've helped us do that. So, and um, we can't we can't I can't be angry at them at all. It's uh, They've,
0: they've been very helpful it is that very tricky thing isn't it though where you know if they don't have the money coming from central government then they can't they can't do things that and that that's yeah they, they've yeah. got
2: yeah and they've got to face all the angry all the angry people and all the you know all the all that so uh but what we did um we, and it's still unique in in uh, as far as the country, um, is um, uh, we set up a timetable service um, that's run exclusively by volunteers. So we don't pay our drivers. Um, therefore, you know we keep overheads at a level that uh, we can we can recover it from. You know we can maintain buses and fuel the buses. Um, and it's we're volunteers. So and um, I don't think there are any other groups to have done this. I think. I live in a very special community, um, and I think we we came together um, to do something special.
0: I think that than is, we have. It, that is absolutely remarkable, and I think it's it's so amazing that you're able to do it. But I I suppose also having you've got to have people that have time to do that. Then you're, you're very lucky that you have got people who can volunteer, and and I guess that makes it quite hard for people in other areas to set up, you know, or could make it quite hard for them to set up a, a, a similar thing. Yeah, we
2: it's we um. We were very lucky, I think, that we we had we had the right people at the right time, the right skills, and that we could do it. But um we've uh, that was six years ago, and we've met a lot of people who wanted to do the same thing. Um and when we we sort of said to them, okay, you need um a team of five or six really committed people, um, we often don't hear back. <laughs> They often, you know, that that's, um, you know, it's, it's quite difficult. This, I think, today in this age, to find um, people with the time and expertise to give, you know. So, um, right, that that's been their problem.
0: Is I mean, are there other things that was was creating growing bus service the first the first place you went to? Was that the the first thing you kind of decided to do, or was there a campaign process to bring the old bus service back first? Um
2: not not i was um i i but i was um nominated by the parish council to go to the um county council transport forum um to hear from the operators you know to hear from the council what what they would, and there was no there was never any question really of um, a campaign you know the money was going you know there was no there was I mean there was nothing really that we could do to get it back you know with um, but it was hugely wasteful the way the way that the um, previous day the 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 bus would come through our village every hour with nobody on it um and you know we've obviously we've, we've refined the service and we we go through the village um two or three times a day and that you know that's that's quite enough people, so it was. I don't, it was badly run. I think the subsidies anyway. But no, we 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 just we didn't know what we were doing. We just went straight into running a bus company. We just thought, right, how do we we got a bus? We you know we, we uh, my my friend um, he drove round he drove around the bus routes with a stopwatch, timing himself. You know, so he could, could <laughs> work out. Well, oh honest, honestly was like you know it was really you know we we just did um completely we just did what we thought was best. We made it up and we we had we have a company and we we um, you know we have we have finances we, we you know we we um we do it all properly and we've been on in the media and we've been on TV and we've been in papers. We, we 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 inspire a lot of transport groups and a lot of people to do what we've done. But um, it's, it, it's so hard, I think, for them, for others to, to do that.
0: So it is, it is really, it is really inspirational. And I, and I, I love, I, I, I think it's an absolutely incredible thing you've done, but, but yeah, how do you, what, what do you say to other people who, who, you know, cause I, I think it's, it, there's been a real decrease of public transport, particularly in rural areas across, across, well, England particularly, but across the UK um, and, you know, there's other people that are really in need of something like this. What would you, or, or what kind of advice have you been giving if they're perhaps not able to set up a, a volunteer, not not have the, the lovely people you have who'll time themselves driving around the bus We
2: We always tell people that it can be done. We always tell you can do it. Um And I think a lot of people are looking for someone to come in and do it, for them. That's you know, that's kind of what people, I think, they want. But uh, we always tell them, you can do it. Um, and there is, when we started, um, we didn't really know what we are doing. Um, but we didn't have any friends or contacts either. And we built those up over the years. We've um, we've carried out now 25,000 passenger journeys on our buses. Wow. Um, and 125 private hires. Um you know so a uh, be people you know sort of have become familiar with us and get got to us and we've made friends um with um politicians and local business and you know so it it it's worth persevering because it gets it gets a bit easier i think you um as you go along i think it doesn't almost have to be just you in a room with someone of i think as as it grows it uh Becomes easier.
0: And and you know, if if we were ever in a situation where uh you know there was money for public transport again, would you be slightly mi- I mean it sounds like you're running it so well. I don't know if you'd want the other <laughs> one to come back. <laughs> would you be a bit you'd be a bit upset? You're running it wrongly, you're not you're not doing the routes properly.
2: <laughs> but it was kind of when when I read the um bus strategy from Johnson, um, you know, and it, it talked about um, local operators working in partnership with uh, big, you know, private, private. People. And I, I, that approach, I, I couldn't see working. I, I don't know how we can, how you can marry the private sector and this kind of lust for money, and um, with, with, you know, with us guys doing it in the voluntary sector. Um. So I was a bit worried when I read that. But obviously, like you know, most of Johnson's promises, uh, you know, just hard air. But um, if if the money ever does come back, I think we'd uh, we'd say you know we we you know say you know that we've done what we've done to keep things going, and then we're pleased to have done that. But and we're pleased to help you know the uh, the people that are coming in. But um, I don't I don't think we're we you know we've got the buses now. and We've <laughs> I don't know you know what we do with those, but I think we you know we'd happily yeah. Uh,
0: you know, let someone else take over yeah i, I must. My, my, my question was slightly facetious but I, I i did just wonder if you know one of the things i've spoken to quite a few people on this podcast about community action and the importance of community action and mm-hmm. there's obviously an an a knowledge that you and the people you work with had of the local area that an outs an outside company wouldn't have and yeah. i you know has I just wonder if that sort of changed your perspective on how important or or maybe affirmed your perspective on how important it is to have the community involved in in the you know in what happens to the area
2: yeah the um there are quite a few things um uh, that i've been involved in um with the community uh one is the local pub that's um you know sort of we have loads of tenants and you know it's it's real nightmares revolving door of people coming in and leaving and you know it's so um, we we uh, the community again are trying to um campaign to um have it listed as an asset of community value. and um, which means that we would have um we would have an option to buy it if it ever went on the market. Um, you know, so I and I see the potential there. I see this journey that we've been on with the bus. I see. Um, a group of people who don't know what they're doing, but people who who are doing it for love and want to help and want the world, to, want to make the world a better place. And I can I can see us doing it all over again with the pub, and turning that into a, a community hub that you know changes people's lives and helps people. So
0: it's brilliant. I I also I I am an advocate for public ownership, but when it is literally public. House ownership as well. I think there's something. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm really keen for that. That's fantastic. Um, oh, Richard, I, I really appreciate you having the, the, the time to talk. And and the, you know, one question that I um that I ask every guest on the show, which which is simply apart from yourself and and your, your fantastic blog, um, which covers all areas of disability rights and 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 transport politics as well. Um, but where else would you recommend that that listeners go to? Um either people to follow things to read for good information on, on all those subjects. Who, who do you go to? There's, um, a, a conversation on
2: Twitter and um, disability conversation that, that is, um, you know, it's full of, full of people, um, with all the different kinds of disabilities and um, t- with their experiences, um, it that's really interesting. So Twitter generally is really interesting. I think if you have uh, disabled friends or, you know, follow people who are disabled on Twitter, that, that's really interesting. Um, there's the Dis- Disability News Service um, that's really good. Um, Disability Rights UK um, as well. You know, they do campaigning too. Um but yeah, then Twitter is is the main the main source of uh, get, you know it's all I think it's all about real people um, and listening to people and and not um, you know it's not groups I don't think so much it's not um it's it's about actually putting uh, people with disabilities first and listening to them so actually disability Twitter for me is a really good way of you know, making sure that those voices get heard.
0: Thanks tons to Richard. Uh, you can find his blog at worldaccordingtome.blog. Um, the RBus site is at arbusbartons.org.uk. And Richard can be found on Twitter at at underscore Richard C. Brown. Uh, and also a big thanks to regular pod helper Cat Day for suggesting that I get in contact with Richard. Uh, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, I know I've had quite a few podcasts over the last year or so on public ownership, community action, wealth building. But honestly, it just makes me feel a whole lot better about the state of everything, knowing that things can actually be done. Um, You know, positive things. I mean, I I can do many things and um, most of it just sort of me eating crisps and shouting at the news. So it's not the same. Whereas these stories are like people have actually done their own stuff because um, government and local government have completely failed to. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure I'm trying to be positive about it. got a bit wrong um what else do you need to hear about right now and who from i'm trying to get various people to talk even more about money laundering and russian influence on the government and all that jazz Um, but what else more local politics issues more global politics things what about in between and the politics of the sea right no one talks about that should i talk to someone about how those poor poises having super hearing means they keep stealing other sea creatures gossip and the issue that means for aquatic data privacy Okay, maybe not any of that. But let me know what I should talk about and who to, and you can let me know as always and forever at partlypoliticalbroadcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com And that is all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. I am forever gracious for your listening choices. And should you ever feel like more people need this in their lives, either for joy or the punishment they deserve, then please do tell them it exists and will only ever cost them the time they'll never get back. If you fancy paying for it, though, with actual money, I'll never complain about my coffee addiction being funded. And you can help keep me awake at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolebro or by joining the completely unrewarded patreon.com forward slash parpolebro because, hey, it's about the giving, not the receiving, right? No, wait, because then you just get given this podcast and not donate because it'd be about me giving. Okay, for you, it's about the giving and not the receiving. Oh, I'll work it out. Also, why not do a five-star review for this show on one of the podcast platforms as apparently it helps despite zero evidence of, in this podcast six years of life so far. But when has zero evidence stopped anyone, right? Thankfulness, in other words, you'll find on sickening Facebook posts in garish colours to Acast, my brother, the last sceptic, and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when Boris Johnson announces that he knows exactly how to stop Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that's for everyone to just say "I believe in Ukraine" really loudly while making a wish. He then insists he's done all he can and goes on holiday paid for by Yuri from Command and Conquer Red Alert. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Brave Gavin Williamson, the bravest knight around. He will leak security details to anyone about your town. Sir Gavin Security endorsed by the knight himself to ensure that only hard power will make potential intruders shut up and go away, especially once we text them all your financial details, so they won't need to break in to get them. Brave, brave Sir Gavin is he the one on the horse or the horse? <laughs>